Balance Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Eckes, a serial entrepreneur and social media guru that has an infatuation with all things business related. On the show, we bring together brands, creators, and thought leaders to discuss the power of influence. Each episode is jam-packed with learnings, firsthand stories, and conversations from guests that truly have their finger on the pulse. Stay tuned as we dive into the stories and explore the impact they're making by getting under the influence. is a soul fire production. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Under the Influence podcast. I am so excited for today's episode with Miss Ali Bonar. She is absolutely incredible and someone that I look to as an entrepreneur. One thing that I really admire about Ali is Ali actually cultivated a community before she launched her first product, which was Granola Queen that was rebranded into Oat House. And I thought this strategy was really incredible because I think as entrepreneurs, we always kind of face this question of, you know, being out in front of the brand or, you know, how do we build our own community so that our product can really, you know, get as much audience and as much attention as possible and also be able to have like this kind of community that we're building. And so Ali's story, just her journey that led her to creating this product is not only inspiring, but I think it also shares a lot about how we can take, you know, our personal brand and actually apply it to future businesses or future products that we want to release. That being said, this episode was recorded a little while back, but I am so excited to be sharing it with you guys today. And a little life update for you guys. I am back in an office. Icus Marketing has moved into our second office ever. We are so excited. We are still a remote agency, but we are having some of our team members that are local to San Diego come in. And I have been so busy moving all these fun things in and with all these plans. And there's a lot more to come on that. But definitely too, I am excited to be able to be in a space where I can cultivate these episodes and bring in really cool guests for you guys. Um, There's definitely some fun things on the horizon. So stay tuned and let me know what you think about this episode with Allie. She's pretty great. And I'm really excited that I got a chance to sit down and chat with her. Welcome back to Under the Influence podcast. I have here Miss Allie from Oat House. You have been like just an inspiration from like for me since the beginning. I remember I started following you and I just loved everything on your social media, your story. And then you started this incredible product called Queen Granola that led to and has really evolved into now Oat House, which has some of the sickest branding I think I've ever seen. It's so cool. It's so welcoming and inclusive. And I'm I'm just so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and that's so cool that you think the branding looks good. Cause you know, anyone who's done a rebrand, it was a tornado and it was sure. such a process. So, um, I'm glad that that, you know, shows through because it was a long journey to get to, it wasn't just, you know, easy peasy. There's a lot of iterations, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat and just share my story. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to start at the beginning because I feel like you have an incredible story to share. And you also have really kind of cultivated and shared this story on your own social media and developed a following from it. So we start in the beginning, like 
who are you? Give me the backstory. Give me the lay of the land. And I want to kind of hear, you know, the trajectory of like from when you started now into developing your own product and launching your own product. Yes. Oh gosh. Okay. Where do I begin? Um, (laughs) so it's like, how much time do you have? No, just kidding. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll keep it short and sweet. So for anyone listening, who's never heard of us. First of all, yeah. Granola butter. It's the first, um, the world's first oat-based bread. So sort of like a nut butter consistency, but based on oats. Um, so nut-free, gluten-free, all that good stuff. It's basically air, but it tastes good. <laughs> um, so that's my product, but yeah, the backstory behind that actually goes a lot further back. Um, and it, essentially granola butter came out of my eating disorder recovery. Um, so I had struggled with food in my body for honestly, most of my life over a decade, at least, um, just my entire teenage years, especially kind of that period in time when all of us are just trying to figure out who we are. Um, and I think it's more common, you know, more often than not, especially women, I think struggle with body image. And it's honestly more rare to find someone that has a quote unquote, normal relationship with food these days. Um, just especially with social media and, you know, all of the stuff that is plastered all over our TikTok feed and Instagram and everything. So I'm definitely happy to dig into that. But um, I actually ended up studying nutrition at UC Berkeley for college, and it was for all the wrong reasons. I was so obsessed with finding this, um, this answer. I thought that the more I studied nutrition, the more I learned about it, I would almost unlock the secret to having the perfect body, quote unquote, perfect body, whatever that was. It was like this sort of, you know, Mm-hmm. just this thing in my mind. I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you really what it was. I just was always chasing it. I was chasing those last five pounds. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, that just honestly added fuel to the flame in terms of my obsession with food. Um, so I struggle with orthorexia, which is almost an obsession with eating perfectly clean all the time. So like healthy eating taken to the extreme, um, anorexia, you know, I never really struggled with bulimia. I tried to make myself throw up from time to time, but just wasn't good at it, honestly. Um, so I really relied on exercise and exercise addiction to sort of burn, you know, burn off any binge episodes that I had. I I did really struggle with binge eating as well. So really anything you can think of, I struggled with it. And oddly enough, I had no idea that I had an issue, which sounds so crazy from, you know, an outsider's perspective, but I was so deep in it. And I really just felt like this is what I have to do to be thin. This is what I have to do to be, you know, to fit in, to be popular. And it also was just so all consuming that it became my world and it became normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from the outside, you know, my friends didn't know because I was a nutrition student and they were like, Oh, you know, she's eating healthy. She's eating salads all day just because that's just, you know, this is what she does. Mm -hmm. And so it was really easy to disguise. I also was really good at hiding it in terms of, you know, I would still go out with my friends and I would party And, um, I was really social, you know, I didn't isolate myself. And so no one really knew. And then the cherry on top was I looked basically the same I do today, which for people that can't see me, because it's a podcast, um, (laughs) you know, I wasn't this malnourished, uh, you know, what you kind of think of as someone that has an eating disorder, right. This like frail anorexic looking woman. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, quote unquote, normal weight. I was athletic. I grew up playing sports. Um, and so no one really knew. And so that also combined with the fact that I felt like I wasn't restricting hard enough, or I wasn't sick enough really prevented me from getting help for a long time, because I felt like, you know, I, it wasn't bad enough for me and I could figure it out on my own. Even times where 
I know I mentioned before that I didn't think that I was struggling. There were certain moments where I was like, this isn't normal or, you know, other people can't think about food as much as I do. Um, so long story short, I mean, that really went all through college pretty much. And even a few years out of college, I moved to San Francisco, started working in tech as one does in the Bay area. <laughs> and, um, cause I went to school up there and then, um, you know, really just reached my breaking point. And I think many people think of a breaking point as, you know, this sort of dramatic, you're on the bathroom floor crying moment. And I definitely had plenty of those in my journey, but it really was just this culmination of little things that led to this moment where something just clicked for me. And I was like, I'm done. Like I cannot do this anymore. Um, I was watching my life pass me by. I was in my early twenties. I was living in San Francisco with my girlfriends. Like it should have been the time of my life, right? making bank, working in tech. Like I was going out all the time. And yet here I was in this mental prison that I had created for myself, you know, afraid to go out, afraid to eat anything that on the menu, that wasn't like a kale salad basically. And just, you know, the thing was, was my, all of my thoughts, all my headspace was filled with thoughts of food, whether it was what I was currently eating, what I was planning to eat. I'm exhausted just telling you about this. <laughs> and so yeah you know, if finally, I think I realized I can't live like this anymore. And the only person that's going to get me out of this is me because mm -hmm. I'm the only person that got me into this. Um, so ended up seeing a nutritional therapist who really took me on this journey from, you know, being obsessed with what I was eating to complete food freedom, which, you know, talking about it now sounds easy peasy, but I assure you it was like the most insane up and down crazy journey, um, that I've ever gone through. And it, it made me much stronger for it, obviously, but so many highs and lows, so many moments of I, I'm falling back, I'm relapsing. I'm, you know, and I think people, whether it be alcohol, sex addiction, whatever you're addicted to gambling, you know, recovery isn't linear. And, um, it's not this like straight and narrow path. It's very twisty turny. And so I started documenting that on Instagram and, you know, was very vulnerable. I talked about eating out of the trash. I talked about abusing diet pills, um, a lot of binge eating in my recovery, um, just because my body felt really unsafe and just things that people don't love to talk about. It's not the sexiest topic, you yeah. know, it's not really what you want your ex-boyfriends to see you posting about on social media. Sure. Um, but it was just so cathartic for me to just talk about it. And I think it helped me also heal because the more I talked about it, the more people came out of the woodwork and they were like, you're not alone. Like I've gone through this. Oh my God. I thought I was the only one that ate out of the trash, like random stuff. And, um, and just being more open about it made it feel less, less scary. Like the more, I think it's Brene Brown, but you know, someone has a quote, I'm totally going to butcher it, but basically <laughs> like, you know, shame and guilt can't exist and can't survive when you talk about it in the open, right? Like the more we open up and talk about things that we're ashamed of, they're not shameful anymore. Um, and it also brings out people that have also dealt with it. And so it creates a community. So I started doing that, gained a little bit of a following, um, promise granola butter comes in at some point. And, um, <laughs> another aspect of my recovery journey was actually incorporating my fear foods back into my diet. So nut butter, you know, peanut butter, almond butter, I was terrified of for years, just scared of the calories, scared of the fats, even though, you know, that's like so 2014 of me, like fats are so cool now, you know? And, um, <laughs> and so started to add them back into my diet and really had a hard time digesting them. Unfortunately, just, I mean, years of restricting and binging, my gut health was just an absolute wreck. Sure. So when yeah. I started to add them back in, couldn't handle them. 
And I was just feeling really frustrated. I was like, I am not going to give up on my recovery. You know, I'm not going to use this as an excuse to just, Oh, yes, I'm not going to eat that, you know? And so I really started to think outside the box and I started experimenting in my kitchen with some other, you know, ingredients. What can I create a spread out of that has healthy fats that tastes really good. And I just had this epiphany to do an oat-based spread. And, um, you know, I was really inspired by Trader Joe's cookie butter. I was inspired by Oatly doing the oat milk. And I just had this moment where I was like, no one has done this before. You know, oats are delicious. They're easy on the gut for most people. Um, and you know, I'm going to try it. So started doing some early iterations in my tiny San Francisco kitchen, um, in my Vitamix. And it was absolute trash. We literally bought like Trader Joe's <laughs> granola from the store and then some, you know, different oils and tried to make a spread. I remember I even brought it into my um, tech office to my, you know, coworkers. And I told them like, Hey, this company sent me this product, you know, cause at the time they knew I was sort of like food blogging. Yeah. I was like, they sent me this product. They wanted to get your feedback. So it was like an easy way to get really honest feedback. Sure. And they were like, Oh, it tastes like wet sand. Like all of the reviews were so <laughs> savage. And I'm like, okay, oof. like that, that hurt a little, you know, but they didn't know yeah. but it was great. It was great early feedback. So long story short, that was sort of the beginning um, you know, worked on it as a side hustle for a year. Um, and then my co-founder is also my boyfriend of eight years and then his childhood friend. So there's three of us. And so now we're doing a full time living in Philadelphia and, um, yeah, it's been a, a wild ride. <laughs> Sorry. That was very long-winded, but it's like hard to concise, you know? No, I mean, I think, years. That, <laughs> I think that is so incredible. I mean, I think that the fact that you have this in this beautiful journey and story. And, you know, like you, you went through such a hardship that led you to like now this business is powerful. Um, and I, I want to kind of touch on that. What, what is it, what is it like kind of being an entrepreneur and sharing your story and being so vulnerable and now having this brand and looking after this brand now, like what, what does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think vulnerability online, especially on social, it's something that is becoming more and more common. And a lot of people have a, have an opinion on it, you know, whether or not people are vulnerable for the sake of clout and likes and engagement versus true authentic vulnerability. I think it's so important either way. Like, I'm just glad that the, the conversation is shifting that way. I'm glad people are being more vulnerable, vulnerable in general. It's like the hardest word to say on a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> But You're doing great. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad people are opening up um, because I think social media needs more of that regardless. And whether mm -hmm. or not people are doing it for likes or not, you know, who's to say? I'm not one to judge, but um, I just think I'm really excited that the conversation is going that way. And so when it comes to entrepreneurship and, you know, showing the real, real, showing the ups and the downs, it is, I mean, it's in our DNA as our company. Um, for me personally, it's something that just, I don't, I can't imagine doing anything else on social just because, you know, I see a lot of accounts and especially a lot of business accounts where they only show the highlight reel and they only show the wins. And I get it. Like, I'm not faulting them for that because it's really fun to show that, you know, where, when we get into a new store or, you know, we launch a new flavor, like those are the things that are super exciting and get people, you know, lit up about, but at the same time, I think it's equally important to also share the low points and the behind the scenes and how hard you're working and the 12, 14 hour days that you're putting in because people actually crave that. And I find that customers, you know, it makes them connect to us a little bit more because they feel like number one, you know, they 
they respect the jar that's in their hands versus feeling like, oh, this was just some marketing machine that has a co-packer somewhere making it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not actual people behind the scenes making the product from scratch, you know, from start to finish. And number two, they feel a part of the journey. They feel like when they see the behind the scenes, when they see what's actually going on um, behind the social media curtain, they actually feel more engaged and they feel a part of this community and a part of the company themselves. So I found it to be really beneficial, not just for community building, but actually for, you know, customer loyalty. Um, and also just being a real human. I think so many people are looking for brands to be more, more personified. Um, I know, you know, when I follow brands, if they're just posting about, you know, their products and sales and just Mm -hmm. trying to push and sell, sell, sell all the time, I just, I don't follow them because I'm like, I don't need that. Like you guys target me with your Instagram ads already. So I'm already getting that. But, um, yeah, I think it's also, it's hard to balance though, as an entrepreneur, because, you know, you're always sharing your life. You're always showing the behind the scenes. And so it's like, at what point is anything private anymore? At what point is anything sacred? You know, when I have my weekends and I want to take time off social media, it's hard to balance that because you feel like, well, am I going to lose out on sales? You know, this is my income. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of tricky, something that I've been, um, just learning to navigate. And yeah, I I actually, I mean, I feel like I have 27 questions for you already just off that one (laughs) statement, but, um, how do you balance it? Like, what are, what are you walking through right now? Especially, you know, if you feel comfortable sharing like a little bit about your mental health journey right now, like what are you walking through being this entrepreneur, also being in this kind of spotlight in front of your audience that you've cultivated? How, how do you balance it? How do you kind of make sure that you're okay and taking care of yourself? Mm, yeah, it's such a good question. It's actually something that has changed very recently. Like I will say in the past two weeks, like very recently, I realized, you know, I'm burning the candle at both ends. And I think it's come with some recent growth that we've had. You know, we've really, um, it's funny because people talk about when your your business grows, you kind of imagine in your mind it's this like slow, steady little climb. But it's so again, sorry, this is a podcast. No one can see my hand motions, but I'm like vigorously going up and down. Like there are moments where it's like we double in a month, and then you stay the same, and then you you know it's it's not predictable. And so um, right now things are very like all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, um, not only am I managing a team, you know we have. 15 or 16 team members now, which depending on where you are in your career, that could be a lot of people are tiny. Um, we're definitely still a startup, but for me, I've never managed that many people before. So that's quite a lot for me personally. And then on top of that, it's also, I still manage our business social media account with the help of my, um, marketing uh, gal, Lisa, who's incredible. She does all of our videos and graphics on our page. They're so Um, good. (laughs) So good. And then also of course, managing my personal account, which, you know, I still make a residual, like kind of a side income from, because as a startup founder, you're not making the big bucks quite yet. Contrary to what Instagram will tell you. Um, so that helps just, you know, pay my rent a little bit, but it's like, I feel like I'm wearing all these different hats. Right. And so I think, it's easy, as I mentioned, to just be on all the time, always responding to DMs, always responding to comments, always responding to emails. And as someone who's passionate about what I do, it doesn't feel like work. You know, when I used to work in my nine to five in tech, loved the company, had a great boss, great team, but it was like at 5 PM, I was like, all right, I'm clocking out. I'm going to go watch the bachelor with my girlfriends, have a little wine night. And like, I didn't think about work. Um, and I was a hard worker, but like between the hours of nine to five. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, I'm always thinking of new ideas, always 
So it, I think what people don't talk about with burnout is that you can get burned out while doing something you love. Um, and I actually talked about this on my page the other day. It's like, you can be passionate about what you're doing. You can love what you do and say, fuck this shit at the same time. Like you can have those <laughs> days where you're just like, like, I hate, I hate the saying where people are like, love what you do. And you never work a day in your life. I'm like, bitch, like I work hard. And sometimes I'm like, my alarm goes off and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. Like, I can't wait to be back in here. You know, um, yes. like there's I, days where you just, yeah, you don't want to do it. So that's what I can, I'm struggling yeah, with right now. No, I, I mean, I can totally relate to that. I mean, we, at, at this point, when this episode comes out, like we will have fully launched get super and the, the creation of get super while managing the marketing agency. It's just been like, I, I get it. Like I, love both of them. They're both these beautiful, special things that like I've cultivated and, you know, grown, but at the same time, like there's, you know, I, like I, I am needing a break from both of them. And like, I love them so much, but it is like that season in your life where you're like, I'm burning the candle at both ends. And sometimes like, sometimes it has to happen that way. Like sometimes you have to go through this season of like busyness and also to being mindful and aware of, you know, like where you're at and, you know, making sure that you're doing things to proactively, like either, you know, prevent this burnout or to walk through this burnout or to move through it in a certain light. And I think that's so important that you touched on that because I feel like you're right. I feel like there's also this, like, you know, I, I call it like the girl boss culture and I love Sophia Amoruso, but I feel like there's, there was like this like giant trend that just happened where it was like everyone became an entrepreneur. Every woman stepped out in front of it, which was so fucking rad. But at the end of the day too, it didn't talk about like the mental health strain. It didn't talk about like your hours and your well-being and like the times where like, you're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm like, kind of like nervous that this is like way too much for me. And totally. it, a lot of entrepreneurs, I feel like, are starting to learn how to share that, but that's never been talked about. Like it's really new. A hundred percent. Yeah, it, it really is true. And I think also with that culture comes, you know, it's like the glamorization of entrepreneurship, which again yeah. is so cool because it's encouraging, you know, younger generations and other women to be like, oh, I can do this too. Sure. But at the same time, I think it's equally as important to see that, people you look up to and your mentors don't know what they're doing because it's like (laughs) the classic thing where, you know, growing up, I always looked up to my parents. I thought they were these like model citizens that never did no wrong. And then, you know, we've all experienced that moment in like our teenage years where we have this realization. We're like, Oh, our parents are just actual humans that are trying to figure out their shit too. And like, they don't know all the answers. And there's something really sad about that. But also at the same time, you're like, okay, you know, it, it kind of puts everyone on the same playing field. And so I think that's equally as important because I don't want people hopping into entrepreneurship with this, you know, idealized version of what it's going to be like. And then they're, you know, ass deep in a business and they're like, oh shit, this isn't what I signed up for. So 100%. it's almost, yeah. Balancing that and just showing the real behind the scenes because it's not for everyone. And because it's been so glamorized, I think it also makes people who work nine to fives look like that's a lesser than type Mm -hmm. role, which it totally isn't like you get healthcare, you get PTO, (laughs) like you get weekends. Like there's so many benefits to working a nine to five that I miss all the time. Like, you know, that TikTok trend that's like, sometimes all I think about is you, like sometimes all I think about is my (laughs) nine to five. I'm like, Oh, this is easier moment. (laughs) Like better days. Oh, that is so real. I mean, 
yeah, I, I remember growing up and my, my dad's an entrepreneur and I remember him being like, go to college, find a corporate job, stay in that job, like yes. never leave it. Right. And as soon as I came out of college, I had quit pretty much like every job that I had. I quit Red Bull. I quit all these different brands. And I was like, I'm ready to start my own. And he's like, literally like we, yeah. we raised you to do this. And like, We've been through this. Way. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love this. And I want to kind of chat about, you know, talking about social media and what you're seeing right now for maybe for brands that you feel like are doing it right. I love mm. that we're seeing these, you know, founders and creators stepping out in front of their brands. And it feels like we're moving from like this, you know, kind of like as kids and like our parents, I feel like our parents trusted these big corporations, right? Like you didn't buy a brand unless it was from, you know, uh, Procter and Gamble or Johnson and Johnson or things like that. Like you trusted those corporations. And now I feel like we're seeing this, like this slow trend of like, people don't really buy that way anymore. And people are actually looking to invest in small businesses or in founders that they trust because they, feel connected to them. And I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on a little bit on that trend. Yes. A thousand percent, especially in food. So, I mean, this is obviously my, my realm, my world. (laughs) Um, so I can't speak to like beauty or anything like that, but I I'm sure it's the same, but in food, I mean, that's why you see all of these small startups getting bought up by, you know, bigger companies and bigger conglomerations is because these big you know, huge, massive organizations, they can't pivot the way that small startups can, and they can't innovate as quickly. And they have so many, you know, like so much red tape and things and hoops to jump through. So they're like, okay, it's just easier to just buy this small company that has already a built in loyal community that follows them. Um, cause you're right. I think people are trusting less and less these big brands. And especially with, you know, I'm 28. So I feel like I'm sort of you know, chuggy millennial, but I feel like these Gen (laughs) Z, like the the Gen Z crowd is very, um, discerning with the type of brands that they, that they support. And it really is almost an extension of themselves. Like I feel like people more and more are feeling that the brands they support, the the brands they buy from, it's not just, you know, who they're spending their money with. It's really, okay, what do these brands stand for? You know, like baseline bottom line that you have to have as a brand nowadays is good product, amazing marketing, high quality ingredients. And then on top of that, it's like, what else you have a social mission? You know, are you doing something for the environment sustainability? So there's so many like check boxes that brands have to, you know, mark off these days. And I think it's really good. It's, it's setting the stakes really high and people are becoming very picky about where they spend their money, which is awesome. Um, in terms of on the social front, I think, what I've seen brands that do it really well in terms of social is just, you know, again, like being really transparent. Um, I love, I'm friends with Priscilla from Coco kind. I love what they do on social where it's like, they're so transparent, you know, about, and they're, they, they admit areas where, you know, they have things they need to work on. They really are engaging with their community. Um, their community is super engaged in terms of, you know, new products or things that they want to see. So I think that's really cool. And it's not just like a one way communication funnel, right? It's like, this is a two-way street. Um, and we actually use social, not saying that we're, you know, this like social genius, but just the way that we use social personally, that's been really effective for us. Um, that may be interesting for other brands is, you know, using like Instagram polls on stories to, Mm -hmm. you know, 
we're, we're actually today we were looking at doing, um, some brainstorming for our December flavor. Cause we've been doing a lot of different seasonal limited edition flavors. And we had two different things in mind that we were thinking, and we were kind of, you know, our team was split on it, what we want to pursue. And I was like, let's just ask our audience. Like they're the ones that are going to be consuming this. Yeah. So I posted, you know, if you could create a dream December holiday flavor of granola butter, what would it be? And just like an open-ended question box. And they had, you know, so many different answers. Another thing that we do is for our subscribers, we actually have, we add them to our close friends list on Instagram. So I think utilizing your Instagram, almost like an influencer. So having, Uh you know, utilizing your close friends list. And I talk to them like they're, I'm FaceTiming my best friend from college. I'm like, Hey guys, like it's been a crazy day. You know, this is what we're dealing with. Like I talk, I show them, you know, different flavors that we have in the pipeline, ones that haven't worked. And here's why, and just really taking them behind the scenes, what people don't normally see from a brand. Um, and I think again, it's like just personifying it as much as you can, you know, the, the less you can sell to people and the more you can just show them who you are and your employees and what you guys are doing and your team, you're going to, inadvertently sell them your product, right? Because they're yeah. going to buy in. Um, and it's kind of like what you're doing with the podcast, right? Like people listen to the podcast, they get to know you. And then obviously they're going to support whatever you do because they feel like they're friends with you. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the angle. I think I've been seeing brands going more towards, I love TikTok. I mean, I personally, <laughs> I need to invest more in TikTok. I have, you know, uh, a full or a part-time creator that's helping me right now. Who's like, she's Gen Z and she's just, you know, oh, yeah. with it. Oh, yeah. She's with the TikTok. I'm like so <laughs> chuggy. And I'm like, Oh God. Um, but she's like, Ali, you need to do more founder videos. I'm like, okay, fine. But I think when brands get on TikTok, like there's a huge opportunity there because again, on TikTok, people love seeing, you know, they don't want the perfectly polished curated. Mm-hmm. Like they want to see, you know, the real, they want to see the real. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a really cool platform for brands too. And I think it's also the wild West, like brands are trying to figure out where they, where they lie on TikTok, which is really fun and exciting. Oh my gosh. I love that you brought up TikTok because I mean, the last four years of my agency has literally been scaled on Facebook and Instagram. And in 2020, we heavily invested into Pinterest and TikTok and LinkedIn and TikTok has been so much fun. Like it is such a great like barrier of entry. Like you can start out like there's so many different types of like content and like ways to like basically access this world of audience that I feel like we've all been like slowly like downsized from Instagram from. Um, And and I, I love that you're talking about like the realness behind brands because I also feel like that's like another trend that we've seen. Like we've seen this rise and fall of like the perfectly curated feed and like the highlight reel and like all of these things that are very, very like picture perfect esque. Mm-hmm. And with TikTok, it kind of just blows it up. It's kind of like, everyone's like, no bullshit. We want humor. We want realness. We want controversy, controversy. We want, you know, trending items, like anything like that. And I think it's such a like, just such a breath of fresh air as a platform of either for brands or for creators. And I, I, I'm obsessed. <laughs> totally. It's also just so addicting. Like, yes. It's, <laughs> oh my God. We have an hour commute to and from our facility every day. And it's like, I try, like at the beginning, I was like, I'm going to try and be a little productive, you know, like maybe I'll answer some emails. And now I'm just like, fuck it. I'm full on just scrolling TikTok the whole time. Yeah. But it's actually, I feel like when I scroll on Instagram, it's a soul sucking, you know, it drains me because I'm, Mm -hmm. I think maybe because I 
make money from Instagram. I'm always comparing what other people are doing, whatever. But on TikTok, it's just a pure entertainment. Like my Mm -hmm. algorithm is all, you know, dog and cat videos, like just (laughs) heartwarming animal content pretty much. And then just like funny shit, like humor. Yeah. And so I never feel bad when I'm, you know, of course I'm like, oh, I just wasted, you know, three hours on there, but I I feel good when I leave. Whereas like, yeah, Instagram, it's like this kind of everything's perfect and curated and Photoshopped. So I'm like, okay, I have negative body image and I'm comparing myself. Like it's just not a good feeling. Yeah, no, it it totally is. And I, I love that you said that too, because I, do you remember vine? Mm -hmm. Did you have a vine? I didn't have one, but I, yeah, I remember it. Okay. I remember like, maybe if I think vine was when I was in college. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember. It was a long time ago, but like it was, I just remember feeling the same way, like the humor, the humorous and things like that and the lightheartedness. And I hope that's like stays because I also feel like that there's so many new creators that have gone viral and even like these brands on TikTok Mm -hmm. that like maybe weren't necessarily like honored on Instagram or they didn't necessarily like fit. And so that's, yeah, that's for me is like, I feel like that's where I, why I love it. Cause I'm like, I feel like I'm seeing all the same people, but in such a different light and like doing like different things. And it makes so much more sense for them. Yeah. And that, and that feels cool. People are so creative. Like it honestly blows me away every time. I'm like, how do you think of this shit? Yeah. You know, just <laughs> it's, and TikTok making TikToks is way from, in my opinion, way more time consuming than just throwing up an Instagram picture. Like even yes. if it's a curated filtered one, like literally all you have to do is hire a photographer and like, that's it, you know, and like be a hot girl. And then you like have a following yes. but on TikTok, like it requires humor. You have to, I mean, filming a video is time consuming. Like I've tried to do a few and I'm just like, Oh my God, I, I can never do this. Sure. So, I mean, obviously it comes with like time and practice, but yeah, I have huge respect for people that blow up on TikTok. Cause that's like, I think it's a different, different style for sure. Oh yeah. Okay. So I got to ask, have you seen slash tried to make the salmon bowl? Salmon I haven't. Bowl. <laughs> okay. I haven't. And purely just, I feel like out of spite, I'm like, I can't be another, you know, I'm like basic white girl. That's just trying the salmon bowl. Um, so no, I haven't, but it looks delicious and I'm sure it's insane. Okay. Have, have you? Okay. No, but I really want to, because yeah. I'm, I'm like the person that like every single Sunday orders Uber Eats sushi to my house. Like that right. is, that is my go-to Sunday night relaxing treat. Ugh. Um, and also I tried the like whole feta trend and I made it for my boyfriend and he's like, this is the best pasta you've ever made. <laughs> and I'm like, I like, we're done. I don't yeah. even, like, this is ridiculous, but I, I love the trends. It's, it's so fun. So yeah. I want, I want to kind of move into a little bit of a different segment as we kind of wrap up here. Um, I want to talk about influence with you and kind of the power of influence. So first I want to ask you, what, what does influence mean to you? Mm, Yeah. Influence I think is the next generation of marketing. I know that sounds kind of clickbaity, but it really is just, it's something that's always been there. It's just repackaged, right? It's word of mouth marketing repackaged in a digital space. That's how I feel. And wow. I think for us, it's been so powerful because as a small bootstrapped, you know, startup, we're not bootstrapped anymore, but in the beginning for the first three years, we were just sending out product to micro influencers, to anyone who would listen. Yeah. And I think it's a, such a great, like you said, with TikTok too, you know, easy entry, um, you know, utilizing influencers for your business, just 
even if you can't pay them yet, you know, you can still really see a high ROI there just from sending out free product. I love that. Yeah. And tell me like, what have you seen in terms of like the power of influence? Like, I mean, obviously you're both now this creator, this entrepreneur, someone that's cultivated an audience. What, what is like some of the good that influence can do for like, you know, the social good or for the mass population and things like that? Yeah. I think the coolest part about it is that it essentially similar to word of mouth marketing. It's like, take us, for example, like if we're telling people granola butter is awesome, like go buy it, but we're the brand, we're the creator. No yeah. one's going to freaking listen. Cause they're like, sure. of course you're saying that, you know, yeah. but if there's a bunch of influencers out there saying that it's like, if you're having a party and like, if you're the person throwing the party, you can't be like, this is a really cool party. <laughs> but like if someone else, you know, if everyone else is like, this is a really cool party. Um, so it's the same kind of idea where having people outside of your organization, talk about you and promote your product and even educate, like, that's a huge thing too, is having, you know, influencers and other people, and they don't even have to be, they don't even have to have a ton of followers. Like, I think the power of influence that's so cool is it could be, you know, the mom next door who's influencing all the other moms at school about this is a new nut-free spread that, you know, Timmy can bring to school. Um, that's really equally as powerful, um, as someone that has millions of followers, but they don't really trust them as much. Right. So I don't think it has to do with someone that has a ton of followers. I think it's just the way that they leverage it. And there are people, and I don't know what it is, but there's certain people in your life. And I think we all can kind of think of them that they're just sort of natural born influencers. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know, they're always talking about, you know, what they're wearing or whatever they're recommending things. And you're just like, I trust them for whatever reason, like (laughs) they have great recommendations. Um, and so that's like harnessing that power is really cool as a brand because you know, you're not, you don't have to pay thousands of dollars for a billboard somewhere. Um, it's almost like the most, it's almost like the last shred of authentic word of mouth marketing that we have. Yeah. I love that you said that because, um, okay. So when we first started out or when I first started out with Red Bull, we were working with, you know, we were throwing college parties and like trying to get like essentially all these cool kids like to these parties and like, you know, to come hang out with the athletes or whatever. And I remember, I remember, um, our manager was, she used to refer to them as opinion leaders. And I thought that was the coolest terminology. I mean, now we call them influencers, you know, thought leaders, things like that. But that, you know, kind of this old marketing keyword was an opinion leader. And I think that's such a better word for like influencer because we naturally navigate influencer to being the perfectly curated, high following social media Mm. girl guy. But now it's almost like, again, like we talk about TikTok, like we, there's like millions of creators on Pinterest that are killing it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a better word for these people, especially in brands of like, this is who we're navigating toward, or this is who we're sending our product to because of their circle and like who they talk to and how much like their opinion really matters to them. Totally. Oh, I love that term. Yeah. I (laughs) I wish we could interchange influencer with opinion leader because it's like, yeah. Well, I mean, and they don't like it either. I mean, the people that are the content creators or they are, you know, on a specific platform, they're like, I don't want to be titled an influencer. Like it has such a bad connotation to it. Totally. I know. Yeah. I I love that you said that too, because it's almost like it it really makes, um, like you said, it takes away having this curated, you know, tons of followers. And for me, it's people that I think kind of push the boundaries a little bit. And 
at first people are like, that's a little weird. You know, it's always like when you kind of stray the, the normal course, people are like, ah, oh, that's a little weird. And then people start to follow and then it becomes a trend. So it's like the people who were on TikTok, like before the pandemic, when it was like this huge exodus to the platform, you know, it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. What is this platform? And now it's like, everyone's on it. Yeah. And so how can you, yeah. Like how can you find those people that almost are the ones that can sense or like sniff out a trend before it really becomes a full body trend. That's hard I, to find. Yeah, dude. And I, like, I love those people. I'm not one of them, but like, I, yeah. it, it's like they get it and like, you, like they literally can sniff it out. I love that you just said that. Cause that's so accurate. <laughs> yeah. I'm very much, I'm such a late adopter. I'm like not an early adopter at all. I'm like, okay, has everyone else vetted this? Okay. Now I'll try it. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, Allie, where can, where can everyone find you? Where can we purchase Oathouse? I got to try the Carissa Stanton. I think it's the, is it strawberry shortcake flavor? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I got it. I got to try that one. I also got to try the new pumpkin spice one. That one looks phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, so you can find me, our website is just oat.house. So it's actually H-A-U-S. And then in stores, um, we're at Whole Foods in certain regions. So West Coast, East Coast, and Florida. Um, if not, if you're in the middle, somewhere in between, um, Amazon or our website is probably your best bet. Amazing, Allie. Well, thanks for going under the influence with us. Thank you. Thank you.